0: As we enter into the end of this fourth month of the calendar year, I'm reminded that we, we've been now in the Gospel of John for gracious two, three months now, and I pray, I trust that it's been as much a blessing in your life as it has been in mine. We are in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John today. We begin our study of that chapter. It's a great time to ask ourselves uh, if we can bring to memory or we can recall what we have been taught in the first four chapters of John. In the life group that I'm a part of, we have kind of taken it on together as a challenge to, to make the Gospel of John a book in the Bible that we become very, very comfortable with, that we have an understanding of what it's about, that uh, for any given chapter we could give you a, a little bit of an indication of what's being taught there. I want to challenge you to do that too, and take this opportunity as we study through the Gospel of John to say, Lord, I really want to understand this book, this gospel, and I want to understand what's in each chapter and 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 what's being taught, and how I apply that in my life. It's a good time to do a real quick review of what we've studied together. The first chapter of John, we are. Introduced to Jesus, we learn that he is God. As a matter of fact, the reason that the gospel of John was written, we are told in the 20th chapter, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is God and that in believing you would have life, abundant life, eternal life, fulfilling life. And we learn in the first chapter of John that Jesus is God and that he is life and that he is light, and that he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The middle part of the first chapter of John, we are introduced to John the Baptist who gives witness and testifies about who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, we said that we can learn how to have a great life or how Jesus would say, man, that's a great life from listening to John the Baptist who said this, I know who I am and I know who I'm not. And I know who Jesus is, a great foundation for building a great life. And there toward the end of the first chapter, do you remember that Jesus begins to call to himself his disciples? And we see in the first chapter of John, he calls five disciples. There was John himself and Andrew. Andrew went and found his brother Simon, who later was named Peter, and introduced him to Jesus Jesus goes and finds Philip. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. Five different personalities coming from different circumstances, but Jesus relates to them, interacts with them, reveals himself to them, calls them to himself. We learn so very, very much about Jesus and how he deals with different personalities from watching him at the end of the first chapter, calling these first five disciples. And then in chapter 2, we see the first miracle recorded in Scripture, Jesus turning water into wine. And we learn from that that God does miracles, and he still does them today. And one of the great ways that we can experience miracles, the supernatural in our life, is to watch and see how Jesus serves and emulate Jesus in serving other people. Also in the second chapter of John, we see how Jesus cleanses temples. And we acknowledged through that study that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, that they house the Holy Spirit, and that sometimes it's necessary because of Jesus' love for us that he cleanses our temples. And then, of course, in John chapter 3 is the interaction with Nicodemus, right? You remember that, a very religious man, a good man probably as close to anybody as there was, of a man who who was sinless, though we know that he was a sinner. And we learned that being good is is not good enough. Then we looked on Easter Sunday at John 3.16. Everybody knows that. We studied that verse and we learned a little bit about Jesus' love and the way Jesus conveys and reveals that love to us. Then in John chapter four, we studied the Samaritan woman at the well, the direct opposite from Nicodemus, a woman with a bad reputation, but Jesus just loved her, and Jesus had a passion for her, and Jesus had a burden for her. We learned through that incredible story, Jesus' perspective on worship, what is worship, and we learned that it's not important where you worship, it's important who you worship, and it's important how you worship. And last week, we looked at the healing of the official's son. The official comes to Jesus and asks for healing of his son. We looked at his faith, and we began to understand and see how Jesus has this desire to see us grow in our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith the size of a mustard seed. You can say to this problem, this circumstance, this difficulty be cast into the sea, and so shall it be. But we are never to stay in the same place in our experience of faith. We're to grow in our faith. And that's more important to Jesus, that we grow in our faith, than your physical need or the physical need of your child. He cares about that. He involves himself in that. But what's more important is your faith and how you're growing in that faith. Today, we begin chapter 5. Beginning in chapter 5, we turn a little bit of a corner in the earthly ministry of Jesus. We've seen up until now that Jesus has been relatively well accepted by most people. The religious leaders of the day, they're, they're curious about him. They're, they're kind of keeping an eye on him. They're, they're wondering what he's all about. But mostly the, the, the people have embraced Jesus, accepted Jesus. Everywhere he goes, there seems to be large crowds that are following him. That's in the first four chapters. That, by the way, is probably the first 18 months, the first year and a half of Jesus' earthly ministry in the first four chapters of John. In chapter 5, we see that, it's, uh, it, 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 that Jesus goes back down south to Jerusalem because there's going to be a celebration of a feast. I believe, though it's not named in Scripture, that that feast is the Passover feast, which would be the second of four Passover feasts that's mentioned in the Gospel of John, which would kind of substantiate that Jesus' ministry was about a a three-and-a-half-year ministry. So we, we, we see this turning... From Jesus' acceptance to intense persecution of Jesus, beginning in the fifth chapter. As a matter of fact, we'll see in the fifth chapter that the religious leaders of the day began to plot to have him killed. It says in the 18th verse of chapter 5, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. And so there's a little bit of a turning of the corner there. All right, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. It's important that we read this uh, again together. It'll be on the screen. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, and beginning in verse 1. See if you can put yourself where Jesus is in this story, if you can picture it. I know. Uh, that might be difficult for some of you, try and, and, and kind of experience this. Maybe as a bystander and you're watching, experience this as it is told to us in John chapter 5. Verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five-roofed, colonnades, that is to say, porches. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir. Sir. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up. Take up your bed. And walk. And at once, the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath day. I want to show you A couple of slides. I put a slide, we'll put a slide on the screen that is the ruins of the pools at Bethesda. It's a significant find. It's a rather recent find. It's been less than 50 years ago that archaeologists uncovered this pool at Bethesda. Until that time, many Bible scholars thought that the pools at Bethesda were made up. And that was just part of the way that John dramatized his gospel. It's hard to tell anything from this slide. It's hard to get your bearings on what's what. So I, I, I got another slide that is an, an artist rendition of what the pools at Bethesda might have looked like in the first century of Jesus. And you can see that here. It, it was actually two pools, a north pool and a south pool. You, you can see that the colonnades that is mentioned in the Scripture are porches, as I called them, that there's five. One runs all the way around the south, one the north, the east, the west. This middle one is the colonnade or the porch that separates these two pools. There's also, uh, this Antonia is, is, uh, is very simply a, um, a, a military bunkhouse, if you will, that King Herod built about 23 years before Jesus was born. It's important also to notice how close the pools of Bethesda are to the temple wall. This is where the temple mount is and where you'll see the temple. And this is the north wall of that temple. Now, I also have a slide that gives you a little bit of a bird's eye view of the pool of Bethesda. This is first century Jerusalem. This is the temple mount right here. Here's the temple, here's the north wall, here's the Antonia that we were just looking at, here is the pools at Bethesda, so you can see how close they are in proximity to the temple mound, where, by the way, during this time of feast, it was packed with people. It was also probably a time when there were people here at the Pool of Bethesda that weren't normally there, people that were, as the Bible called them, invalids. And just as a, 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 um, an interesting thing that I would want you to know, I, this area right up here, most Bible scholars believe traditionally that this is the area, this is Golgotha where Jesus was crucified. This is the first century city of Jerusalem, a wall around the city, a wall around the Temple Mound, and the temple itself. Why don't I show you this? Why don't I take the time to show you this? Because I think it's very, very important that you understand that this is not a fairy tale. That Jesus really was there, that there's a pool of Bethesda, That 2,000 years ago, Jesus had a desire to involve himself in someone's life. That he had the authority and the power to heal someone. And I want you to know that the reality of what happened 2,000 years ago can be your reality today. Because Jesus is here. He still has a desire to change you. He still has the power. He still has the authority. What we're talking about today is change. I want to tell you that I believe that every single person in this room can identify an area of their life that needs to be changed. You've experienced for a long time. You've tried what you know to do to to bring about this change in your life. I know that this room is full of people who are in full-time ministry. This room is, is full of people who are curious. They're not sure Jesus is real. We got elders in this room. We got pastors in this room. We got the whole gamut in this room. And what I'm telling you is there's not one person in this room who can't identify an area of their life that needs to be changed. That Jesus has a desire to reach down and touch you and bring about that kind of change in your life. I want you to know this morning, Jesus can do that. We look at this passage of Scripture and we see how Jesus initiates change in this man's life. Jesus initiates it. We see in the, in the sixth verse, Jesus, the, 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 the fifth verse, there was a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there. Just as Jesus is in the midst of that crown 2,000 years ago, he is in the midst of this crowd today. Just as Jesus initiated change in this man's life, so he initiates change in your life. Here's what I see in this very, very simple passage of Scripture. The first thing it says in verse 6 is Jesus saw him. Jesus focused on him. Jesus was, was not just aware of him. He picked him out of the crowd. Jesus sees you today. He's here. He picks you out of the crowd. 2,000 years ago, Jesus sees this man. He goes directly to where this man is. He stands in front of this man, probably above this man. I tell you this morning, nothing has changed. Jesus is here. Jesus sees you. Jesus focuses on you. Jesus singles you out, if you will. And Jesus goes and He stands right in front of you. He's there. It's not because it's His job, it's His obligation, it's His responsibility, it's because He loves you. And the Bible goes on to say that not only did Jesus see Him, but Jesus knew His condition. Jesus was aware. Whether someone told Him Whether his father in heaven had told him, however it was, he knew that this man was an invalid. He knew this man was lame. He knew that he had been lame for 38 years. But what I want you to know most importantly this morning is Jesus knows exactly what your need is. He knows exactly how long you've been wrestling with that. He knows what you're going through. Jesus comes and he stands in front of you and he knows your condition. He knows what your need is. He knows every single thing about this area of your life. He knows when it started. He knows how it's developed. He knows the struggle that it's been in your life. He knows how to change it. He wants to change it. And so we follow Him through the crowd to this invalid, this man who's been this way for 38 years. He knows him. He knows his need. And He asks him a question. And here's the question, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, this invalid looks up at Jesus and Jesus says, do you want to get well? Now that seems like a silly question to me, doesn't it? On the surface, that seems like a dumb question. I mean, after all, it's why he was at the pool of Bethesda. Every person in this room has an area of their life that needs change. And Jesus looks at you eyeball to eyeball. And here's what he says to you You want to change? You want to be changed? You want to be healed? You want to experience my supernatural involvement in your life? When you start thinking about it in terms of where you're at right now, where I'm at right now, what my experience has been, it's really not that dumb of a question, is it? Because there's a whole bunch of us here in this room, when it gets right down to it, we don't really want to change. Maybe it's a desire that we have, yeah, we'd like to change, but we don't want to do the necessary work. That it's, going to change, that it's going to take to experience change in our life. We don't want to give Jesus every single area of our life. We don't want to totally surrender ourselves to him. We've become maybe comfortable in our misery. We've become comfortable in the pain. We've become comfortable in the addiction. We've become comfortable in a marriage that's falling apart. Yeah, we would like to see change, but man, when it gets right down to it and Jesus looks us in the eyeball and says, do you want to be changed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to experience my power in this area of your life? We begin to hesitate. Do I? Really? Some of us are afraid of change. Some of us are afraid of what Other people might think, I think it's an important question for you to answer today. Would you answer it? Would you be honest? He knows your heart. You don't have to answer it to me. Just tell him, you know what, Jesus? I don't think I want to change. Be aware that when when you say that, that what you're saying is, I don't really desire to be in the center of your will. I I don't really want your best for my life. I don't believe that you know what's best for me. I think I know better than you what's best for me. I know that this is wrong. I know i got to get it out of my life. I intend to do that one day. But I'm not ready to do that now. Be honest and answer Jesus' questions this lame guy 38 years he answered the question jesus says to him you want to get well the sick man answered him in verse 7 sir i'm no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up while i'm going another steps down before me see there's this pool of bethesda it was a place that the the lame people the invalid people gathered because they thought it had healing powers we know today that it was a spring fed pool that, that every once in a while, the waters would kind of churn and, and, and become disrupted. Well, the people thought that was an angel touching the pool and that, and, and that when the waters began to stir up, the first one into the pool would get healed. Of course, the first one into the pool was always the healthiest one, right? I mean, he got there first. And so this is the, the answer. The guy says, look. You know, I, I, I make my way to the pool. I see the water stirred up. I make my way to the pool, and, and, and every single time, 38 years, somebody jumps down in, in front of me, and, 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 and I, this is my plan. Here's the obstacle, the barrier to this man experiencing change in his life while he stands face-to-face with Jesus. You have the same barrier. I have the same barrier, the same obstacle. I have a plan you want to get healed? Well, my plan, I've been working my plan. This is tough for us. Because we're a resourceful people. We're a really smart people. We have strong willpower. We know what we need to do to get right. We know what we need to do to experience change. We've got a plan in place. Here's the way it's going to work. You remember last week when the, the official came to Jesus for healing of his son and he had a plan? Jesus, here's how this is going to go down. You're going to come with me. We're going to go, we're going to go back and, and you're going to heal my son and everything's going to be great. Jesus, I need you to do this for me. Jesus' response was, no, 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 no. Here's what you're going to do. And I think it's the same kind of thing here. This guy had a plan. It's a plan that, that had failed over and over and over again. He gives the plan to Jesus, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. I have a better idea. Have you got your plan in place? You know what you're going to do? Maybe this morning you ought to say, Jesus, you know what? I've been working this plan for how long now has it been? A few weeks, a few years, a few decades. I'm going to ditch my plan. And I'm going to follow you. Well, that's good because Jesus has a plan. And it's so simple. I hope it's not too simple for you. Here's Jesus' plan. It says, uh, it, it's starting in verse 8, Jesus says to him, here's the plan. First thing, get up. Now keep in mind, this guy has been down for 38 years. Can't walk. He's an invalid. Jesus tells him to do exactly what he knows he cannot do. And I imagine the first thing that he thought was, I can't do that. But you got to believe Jesus. Last week we talked about how Jesus values faith, values belief in Him. You got to depend on Him. You got to depend on His power to change you. You got to trust Him. Nothing is going to happen in your life. Change is not going to occur in your life until you say, and I challenge you to say it today, enough is enough. Today's the day I'm moving forward with Jesus. I'm making a decision today. No more putting it off. No more my plan. Jesus, I want you to change me. April the 19th, 2015, this watershed, this watermark day, that's when it happened. That's when He changed me. you got to... Make that decision. Jesus said to this guy, get up. He can't get up. He's lame. He's an invalid. But something within him said, this is God. And I'm going to trust Him and I'm going to have faith with Him. And and intellectually, mentally, right here in my mind, I'm going to say yes. I want this change in my life. Jesus says, get up. you got to reach that point. Look, if you're, if you're still back here where you're not sure you want this change in your life, you, you, you won't be there today. Jesus says, get up. Then he says, take up your bed. Here's what I think he's saying to the guy. You made a decision that you won't change. Give up your place in line. Walk away from where you're at. Give up. Y- y- y'all have been to the parks, right? Have you, have you been in line for a ride that's two hours long? You stood there with your kids maybe? That's hell on earth, isn't it? <laughs> well, what if someone, can, you've been in line for two hours, you're almost there, maybe another 30 minutes, maybe another 45 minutes, you're almost there. You know, when you turn that corner and you can kind of see. And someone comes up to you and says, hey, come with me. I can get us right to the front. Well, you know what? You got to make a decision. Is this guy for real? Or does he just want my place in line? And taking up your mat, taking up your bed is, is saying I'm going to give up my place in line. Here's what it's doing. You got this area of change. You got this area in your life that so desperately needs change. It is is doing the things that you need to do to give Jesus opportunity and place to make that change. One way to put it is it means dealing with the temptation to stay there. Practical. Maybe it means that you should get some software on your computer that tells other people if you're looking at websites you shouldn't be looking at. That's taking up your mat. Maybe you're in an adulterous affair. You want God to change you. He says, Get up, make a decision today. Today's the day. And maybe taking up your mat is finding a different job so you can be away from that temptation. Maybe it's moving so you can be away from that temptation. It's fighting that temptation, it's throwing away the last half pack, it's cleaning out the cabinet. It's doing whatever you need to do to take up your bed, to give up your place. There's this, there's this intellectual mind decision that is made. And now, I, I'm going I'm to believe God for that. I'm going to rid my life of the things that would make it easy for me to go back to the place I was before the change occurred. That's... That's take up your bed. Maybe it's going to somebody and saying, look, nobody knows this. It's been my secret, but I'm going to share this with you right now. Maybe that's what taking up your bed is. No more secret. I need somebody to pray with me. I need somebody to encourage me. I need somebody to hold me accountable. I need somebody to come to me once a week and say, how you doing? Maybe that's taking up your bed. And then Jesus says to the guy, Walk. I think that's important because he could say, How's that feel? Feel pretty good? Well, come over here and sit down till you get it, till you build up your strength. Come over here and and, and get your legs under you. No, Jesus says, Let's move out. Jesus has the power to bring about this change in your life, and Jesus has the power that. To to, to help you to walk in this change. To experience this change. Get up. Take up your bed. Walk. It's living out a life based on the healing. It's receiving and accepting and embracing this healing. Jesus has healed me and now I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to live like it's true. I'm going to move forward in that. Jesus empowers us in this in this living it out phase of change in our life. It's healing. It's change. Now look. We had 200 I don't know. I'll speak ministerially. 250 people in the first service. There's 300 here, 500 people. Every single one can identify an area of their life they need change. Every single one. It breaks my heart that maybe five will. They'll look at Jesus eyeball to eyeball and say, change me. Jesus has a plan. He'll walk with you through it. Look, there's something about this I know that's just really, really oversimplified. Get up, take up your bed and walk. If you're serious about allowing Jesus to bring about this change in your life, you don't have to do that alone. There are people that are here that'll help you. They'll walk with you. We'll share... The Word with you, Scripture with you will hold you accountable, will encourage you. Maybe take up your mats, finding a group to be in. Maybe take up your mat as, as going to a meeting that you should have been in, that you should have been in a long time ago. I don't know. But you don't have to do it alone. I think the important thing today is as you come to a place in your life where you say, that's it for me. Jesus changed me change me. In other words, your answer to his question is yes, I want to be healed. Jesus says, okay, get up. Right here. I want to be healed. Remove any hindrances. Walk in my power. I want invite you to stand. Look, this is just, just 60 seconds. In every sense of the word, the ball is in your court. Jesus is here. He has power and authority to bring about change in your life. What will you do? What will you do? Lord Jesus, my prayer is simple. I pray that every single individual in this room might get a sense of your presence. They might might get a glance. They, they, They see you looking at them. They see you singling them out. They see you walking toward them. They see you standing right in front of them. They hear you say, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be changed? Now it's time for our response And my prayer is simple. Have your will and your way in every heart and life. I beg you. I pray in your name. Guys, lead us if you will.